Welcome to the Road to Black podcast, brought to you by the BJJ Physio. The BJJ Physio helps optimize the training of jiu-jitsu athletes so they can dominate their next performance. How do they do this? They provide strength and conditioning, physical therapy, and heart rate-based conditioning through a completely remote and online management system. Meaning you can be anywhere in the world and take your BJJ performance to the next level. Contact Dr. Wesley Reed at info at the bjjphysio.online or follow him at the BJJ Physio on Instagram to find out more. Also brought to you by Roll Union Jiu-Jitsu. Visit rollunion.com and follow Roll Union on Instagram to shop the latest jiu-jitsu styles. Roll Union brings you the best fitting geese on the market, the most comfortable rash guards, and premium soft jiu-jitsu tees. Next time you're in the market for some new gear, check out RollUnion.com for the stylish and the savage. Lastly, we're brought to you by DownToRoll.com. DownToRoll.com was born out of the need for an innovative way to find BJJ training partners during the COVID-19 crisis. With gyms being shut down for many across the globe, you can register at DownToRoll.com and find small group training partners in your area. You can message partners directly from the map and interact with other like-minded players on the Down to Roll exclusive network. Go to downtoroll.com and start training again now. Thanks for supporting our sponsors, and we hope you enjoy this episode of the Road to Black podcast. What's up, guys? We're here, Road to Black podcast, episode 34 with... My brother Wes and our guest today is Patrick Almeida. Patrick, Wes, what's up, guys? What's up? What's up, bro? Who got their training in today? This guy. Wes. Wes did. Okay. Patrick's not Patrick, you weren't feeling too good today. You went and got a COVID shot? Or a COVID test, I should say. Yeah, I got a COVID test. Today was just watching the people today. Was negative, but no training for me so far. Feeling a little under the weather? Man, bad, throat, head, fever, everything. But if it's negative, it's negative. I'm yeah. cool. Okay, man. Well, thank you for uh, coming on to the podcast, even though you're not feeling so well. Um, we'll try to keep it, keep it going here and uh, keep it short and simple. Basically, we want to have you on here, talk about your experience with jujitsu. Um, I know you work, we've been working a lot with Wes lately, you know, um, I met you at my business in Tempe, chill fit cryo. So I met you through, you were with Orlando coming through. Um, tell us a little, give us a little background of where you're living at right now. What kind of training you're doing? I know you have a, a pretty extensive history with jujitsu. We can talk about that, but tell us how long you've been training and basically give us a little bit of your background and let people know who you are and you know what you how you fit into this into the jiu-jitsu world guys thank you for an invitation first so i started jiu-jitsu 13 years ago if i'm not wrong almost 13 years ago now i started when i was 15 i'm 27 uh 12 almost 13 years uh i'm from rio from brazil you can see by the accent my Portuguese accent. I'm in Texas right now. I was in Hawaii. I moved up to to U.S. almost two years ago too. And I'm training Macau in South Texas. Pretty much that. 
And I have a, like, like you guys said, I've been in Russia, I've been in Portugal, in Brazil. I've been traveling pretty much whole Europe, a little of the Middle East. Always competing, training jiu-jitsu and so on. Is that something that you, was that something you set out to do when you were younger and tra- started jiu-jitsu? Did you always know you wanted to travel? What, what's, what's causing you to move around so much and is it is do you love the experience of traveling and training across the world man i love the experience for traveling for sure i i think that's one of one of my goals i know when i was starting not jujitsu but like thinking about having a career in my life i was one like man i want to do something that's going to make me be able to be traveling to know the world but what happened that i moved to russia to do my medical college i got a scholarship in medical school when i was 20 years old, and I moved to study medical school in medicine course, but I start, I could not stop training, right? It was a purple belt, and I started training, and after I was helping the school, and after I was opening my own school, and after I received an offer to move to another school and like be one of the professors, and once you're inside Europe, everything's super close. All the countries are really close for each other, you know, and the competitions, like for example, uh, next week I'm going to Vegas. Uh, in a month I'm gonna be going to Phoenix. Uh, in in Europe is different. Instead of going say to move countries, you go to Russia, to Portugal, to England because it's pretty much like England, U.S. is huge. You know, it's like Brazil is a huge mm-hmm. country. It looks like a continent. So that's how it would happen. Same distances as the states over in Europe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what team were you, so you came up, you came up with, uh, Muhammad Ali and, um, and in that gym, who are you, who did you first start training under and, um, kind of what was that experience like, uh, training down in Brazil where you're from and then carrying that over into the U S and all the different areas that you lived. So I started in a small gym, call it Vikings. Uh, do you guys ever remember the old gi called uh, Krugans? A very, very old gi, like the Hanzo Grace used to use. Mm-mm. It's an old company, one of the very first gi companies in Brazil. And the owner of this gi company, he was also owner of the gym. But the gym closed, and I moved to Nogueira Brothers in Tia Nogueira in Brazil. The Nogueira Brothers, they were black belt from De La Riva. And De La Riva also black belt from Carson Gracie. So everybody from De La Riva, Tino Gear and Carson Gracie, they used to train together, used to cross train. And my professor at the time was Everaldo Penco, the guy who guided me from the green belt to the, my black belt. And that's where I was training most of the time of my life back to Brazil. That was where I used to train with Mohammed and everybody built together, you know. It's back to the red quarters of Tino Gear. Gotcha. So you kind of mentioned something about um, cross training. We talk a lot about this on on the podcast. Um, you know, back in the day here in the states, I've been training about thirteen years um, here in the states, and some of there are some schools still this way where cross training is verboten. You don't you don't allow your students to cross train. Um, and so you come in, we've, we've, you know, you've been training 12, 13 years and you've already mentioned cross training just in the few minutes we've been on this podcast. 
Um, is that something you, it's something obviously you value is cross training. Can you, you know, what is, um, how does it work down in Brazil with cross training and how friendly are other schools with each other? Uh, for a long time, you cross training was something like you are a traitor, you know, you cannot be training for other guys. They are your enemy and so on. But what started to happen in Brazil, a lot of things, let's, let's say, uh, let's use the, my case, Carson Gracie, he had like a lot of legends under his, under his name, De La Riva, Murilo Bustamante, who was a world champion, Belfort, and all these guys. So what happened, some of these guys, they separate from the professor. Other guys, they still kept the relationship with him, still, still was his friends and so on. So his students, he started to compete under Carson Gracie or under the La Riva name. And that is keep it happen. For example, my professor, he opened his gym that it was not a De La Riva. I will open my gym and it was not a De La Riva, but everybody's still training together. So if you are going for outside the family, let's say outside the family, outside your lineage, some people may see you strange in the past or even nowadays. But the training that I had, because we were an MMA team, we had people for everyone everywhere. We have guys from Nova Union, we have guys from Kimura, we have guys from from Alliance, because we're an MMA gym. So I grew up in an environment in a in a way that we are always training. It doesn't matter the, the flag, it doesn't matter where the guys the guy come from. Because what it was important for us was having hard training. Not say, oh the guy has a flag or other flag. I believe most of the cases, people doesn't like cross training because they don't feel secure. They don't feel safe about themselves and about losing the students to another person, you know. And that was not a problem for us the way that I grew up. Makes sense. Yeah. What With cross training and training in general across the world, what is your experience? How do you, how is jujitsu? Is jiu-jitsu like a language that is the same throughout the world? Because you have experiences in so many different places, is, is jiu-jitsu, do you find the same experiences in Russia versus, you know, living and training in Russia versus Brazil versus the United States? Is it, is it different in, in good ways or bad? Did you have to make adjustments throughout your training to kind of go with the environment or were you always the person that everyone looked to, to teach and kind of set the, you know, set the style of jujitsu, set the tone of the gym. So I believe that jujitsu is something funny because the culture of the places really changes the jujitsu of the person. For example, if you go back to Russia, uh, they have a very good background in Sambo wrestling and judo because they have like years and years of history on this sport so if you're going to train jiu-jitsu in russia you're going to feel very powerful takedowns they have a mentality they're like man you got to be tough so you got to be strong you got to do powerful takedowns you got to stay on top you know so that's it's how they, they do over there so for example in the united states people in the united states you guys are very methodic methodological you have a lot mm -hmm. of method, right? So you have a name for every position. You have uh, a structure for training for all the situations. You have a mind mapping, all the stuff. 
And if you go back to Brazil, man, in Brazil, some most of the times, the professor don't even know what he's gonna teach in the day, you know. And like, that's the style. Everything is about improvisation. You get in the position like I don't even know how I did that position, but I did happen. And each culture, each each culture creates a new style of jujitsu. I think that when I was teaching, I pretty much tried to keep carry for me like the the La Riva style, my professor style, the things that I learned. And that people was curious to know because, like, if I was a guy, for example, a very good guy in takedown one to Russia, people are going to come like, hey, man, okay, we have these already here, you know? Or if I was a very good guy in wrestling, in uh, freestyle wrestling, and come to the United States and start to do the same method, people are like, okay, I have these. I can go to a college wrestler or something like that and do. So I think the fact that I have, like, not old school because, like, Delahiv is not a new guy, but he has, like, a more fluid game, more flow game. I think people look up to me to learn this, this style, you know, the kind of the what they say is the Brazilian style. If that answer. That's perfect. Yeah. That's interesting, too. Very interesting. When you, when you, in your own game, when you're training jiu-jitsu or teaching, do you look for weaknesses in your own game and how do you address like since you come up with more of a flow style you know very spontaneous but you also live in the united states now you also experience u.s gyms and like you you said it yourself more maybe more structured training or more you know the the wealth of knowledge at every gym is growing especially in the united states because there's set curriculums and even something that's outside of this professor's base and you know level of comfort a lot of professors now take it to another step either they're learning and bringing stuff back to their students maybe something that they don't know or they get experts coming in and doing cross training in in you know bringing bringing whether it's seminars or something what's your approach to you know you've been training a long time you're a black belt you competed all over the world how do you how do you focus on getting better? Is it just more training or is it, is it something that you really think of? I have weaknesses. I'm going to address those, you know, especially if you're your own, you know, at this, at this level, you're a very knowledgeable guy in every, every gym, any gym you walk into. So there, there's going to be times when you're going into a place and you're the most knowledgeable. So how do you address the situations when you think you need to improve when you're away from your instructors? So, if you understood right, uh, let's say when I was back to Russia, we had a lot of cross training for high level judo guys, like even Olympic guys used to come up to the gym training for some time. And I felt like I'm not going to be taking down these guys, but I got to learn. I cannot be like the guy walking and taking me down just walking, you know? And yeah. when I came to US, I was like, man. And I learned some wrestling in Russia, but when I came here, it was different. The angles, how the guys do here is different. The, the power is different. So I was like, man, I got I to get stronger. And in the style, you guys have very good takedowns over here. Very powerful takedowns and attack, attack a lot of the food. So I was like, man, I got, I got to learn how to at least block the takedowns so I can start to do my guard game, do the stuff, or even do the takedowns stay on top. And now, for example, IBJJF changed the, the, the rules, and I'm going to need to learn in the heel hooks. I'm going to need to do all this stuff. Even when I'm training for Hosemar Palladis in the past, I got I to gotta learn because that was not something often. So 
I believe first jiu-jitsu is very seasonal, you know. You have a time that everybody was doing bimbolo, have a time that everybody was doing leg drag. Now I had a time everybody was doing single acts, for example, now. So I try to update my game by what I'm seeing in the, in the, in the competitions because, let's say, I'm, I have a very good, let's say, I have a very good Toriando pass. But if everybody's doing single acts, I'm not gonna and I don't find a way to get in the tournament in the past. Doesn't matter what what I'm what I'm good if I'm not be able to put myself in that situation, you know. So I've been studying a lot of the competitions, and I think I change a lot in my game. The top part, try to not be pulling guard all the time without trying takedowns. You try to get better, and trying to avoid give my foot because uh very. Big problem about, I believe, most of the guys from Brazil because we don't attack, like, in the past, you, you do foot locks was some, something that was bad, you know? People like, man, the guy just know mm -hmm. how to do foot locks. They just know how to attack leg locks or something like that. So we grew up, the guys from Brazil, most of the guys, with the mentality like, no, you cannot be doing foot locks because that's not nice. So you cannot be doing this game because it's not nice. And when it came to us, that was totally different. That was something more normal. So I'm trying to be more offensive with my guard, doing more takedowns, and at the same time, I'm not exposing myself to the footlocks or the knee bars or heel hooks like most of the mm -hmm. guys you like to do. Just adapting, recognizing what you need to work on and making, making changes. Do you have a process that you, that you go through? So I think that self-analyzing your game, being in I don't want to say overly critical of your game and your performance, but you obviously have to look at yourself with some sort of objectivity so that you can see how you're performing and areas that you can improve. Do you have, how, how do you go about that process of saying, okay, I need, this is something I need to address. I mean, is there a process that you go through or do you, is it competition performance? Is it, I got caught in this and now I have to address this. How do you address finding those actual weaknesses? Man, I think like when you are able to, you are able to go in a competition, sometimes one competition is worth a month or two months of training because you're actually seeing what you're doing right or wrong. We know like there is a lot of factors like how you're feeling the day, how you did the diet and so on. But like, some technical issues that you see in the competition, the heat of the moment, uh, shows up a lot what you got to learn. For example, in my case, my last competition, I was like, man, I took down a guy who's a high-level judo guy, a guy trained in Japan, like judo in Japan, and I put him down doing wrestling after defense one of his takedowns, but I was caught in a heel hook. So I was like, man, okay, I grew up a lot. I, I, I'm actually taking down a guy who's a high-level in the takedowns, but... I didn't mistake and got caught in a heel hook. Maybe if I didn't find that competition, I was not going to have the urgency to go after learning heel hooks, defenses, or getting bad and doing that position. So I think competition is really important. And I always, when I'm training, I try to create a, a mind mapping that I'm doing. For example, if I'm passing a knee cut and I know that a guy going to frame, I can switch sides and try to do a, like, a knee weave or a back step or something like that. So I try always to create in my mind, even sometimes no, uh, making notes, which path I could do it, you know? So step by step, I go creating and developing my game by this way. 
Gotcha. Is that something, so the mind mapping, did you pick that up here in the US? Um, is that a, a newer kind of development for you? Or is this something that you um, picked up in Brazil? Where did you pick pick up that that uh, concept? So my professor, he's a very like, he's a very smart guy. And like, he always talking about this with us, but I never understood this until I started studying another things and here in the US. Because when you have like the methods, like the for example, the curriculums that you have here and all the stuff, all the structure, make the student, make the the person who is learning uh, have a better understanding, make it tangible. So like I'm going left because of this, I'm going right because of this. Like I said, in Brazil you learn this, but like there is no structure, there is no nothing, no, there is nothing like uh, let's say a formal learning. You know, that's like. It's like, you know, some, when you're going to shake somebody's hand, they're like, that's a, uh, nobody teaches you, but that's a rule that you learn by seeing the people doing. But when you actually like know these, actually understand these and you can write down, it make, makes it easier to understanding and make it easier to progress, make it easier to create the next steps for the positions, the best defense, the best attack, the best sweep, A, a B or C, you know? And that, I think most of these I, I got here in the U.S., seeing you guys doing how to, how you guys like creating the methods, you know? So this is a a question. So I'm kind of going through a little bit deeper with this question, but if let's say that you are a, a, a maybe a, a jujitsu blue belt or a purple belt, and maybe you're at a school that may, that isn't going into that next layer of, creating these systems and mind mapping what advice would you give to somebody to take that ownership on themselves how how would you advise somebody that's wanting to go into that next step that's maybe not getting that structure at their gym results man that's that's simple because i believe everything if you're going to doesn't matter if you're going to have a competitive gym if you're going to have a recreational gym you are looking for results. You want to teach jiu-jitsu to, to your student. You want to teach jiu-jitsu for the, doesn't matter if a kid, if he's a master, is whatever. And you got to have understanding that if you're doing this way, you're going to make way easier for your student to learn. You're going to make way easier for you to compete. So if the result is not the most important thing that you can have about your learning process and the teaching process, I don't know what it would be, you know? I think it's, it's because like a lot of people are lazy to sit down in your free time, like, hey, let's sit down here. Let's let's write down this. You know, mm-hmm. most of the guys they don't do because they're lazy, because they don't want to yeah. lose their free time mm-hmm. on the weekend or something like that. You know, because everybody inside knows. You know, you know which which positions you're gonna do. But this is something that you're creating ten years of your path. But imagine for a white belt, for a blue belt who is doing maybe six months, one year, he doesn't have these 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 following. He's gonna take maybe five, six years to learn something that it can give it to him and like, hey, we're going to work these, these, these and that back and forth so you can follow and make these automatically, you know? So what happened inside of the guy take two years to be a blue belt and understand and be able to compete or get a better training for you too, he's going to take a one, maybe less, depending on his results and his time he's going to spend in the mats, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's all about that external, that additional learning, putting more time off the mat and studying and 
for someone that's been doing it a long time like you, it comes easy because you see the positions in your head. You can do that mind mapping in your head right now as we're sitting here talking. I mean, I'm sure you could just go through things where if you're a new person, you don't, like you said, you don't have the breadth of knowledge. You don't have the 10, 10 years of experience. So you're limited on the, the pathways and the maps that you can make, you know, the, 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 really it's just the pathways, you know, going from this position to this position, or like you said, knee, knee slice here, you know, you know what they're going to do in defense. I'm going to go, I'm going to, you know, transition to this other path. So I think whether you're new or like you said yourself, sometimes you write it down. It's all about that additional work, the additional study that you're getting outside of the gym, really, because you're not sitting taking notes when you're on the mats. You might be taking mental notes, but at some point you also have to, and we talk about this a lot on this podcast, where when you're in the gym, you're learning what's what your professor, what your coach is teaching you, but there's you have a lot of free time outside the gym to start really thinking about that th- that stuff, but also how to incorporate either the lesson for today or in- incorporate new moves that you're seeing online, on YouTube. How do you incorporate those things along with your jujitsu and, and start mapping things out? And we've said that before here. It just takes extra effort, you know? And like you said, whether it's laziness, definitely for some people, or some people are just clueless and don't understand that to get good at jujitsu, you need to do those other things, you know? Um, not there's not a lot of professors that more so now, especially because a lot of a lot of gyms have online training in addition. So you'll your professor might teach you a lesson, but also say, Hey, for the weekend, this weekend, guys, go search this or go learn this move or go pay attention to this video and get some external, you know. If you know, if you're not competing, I completely agree with competition being equivalent of two months of training. You know, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people have said that, you know, it's like taking 30 classes at once because everything is highlighted your, your, your positives and your negatives. But for, for, for our listeners, especially people that are on the road to black belt, you have to take it upon yourself to start making those maps. We've talked about this, this concept before, but it's not going to happen naturally on the, it's just not going to come to you because like you said, in the old way, you know, you, if you're improvising every day, yeah, you can learn things and, and it might take you five years, but you Patrick can teach someone, you already know the mapping, you know, the pathways you can teach someone and bring them up to speed a lot faster. So I think it's important for coaches and instructors to also um, put that out there and, and help, help this. And, and my coaches have always done that. You know, they might, they're good coach is going to tell you, this is what this move leads to, but also be careful of this. This is the way they're going to defend. If they defend this way, you're going to do this, you know, not, that's not every case because you have people teaching jujitsu out there that don't even know those pathways. And so they're, the breadth of knowledge and Wes and I talked about this before the podcast is going to be very tight and small. Um, so I think as an instructor, and I'm sure you've done this too, when you coach people is that you help them see those pathways and see those transitions. I mean, I think you would agree once you get into your higher belts by purple belt, that's, you need to be transitioning and it has to be coming to you. You can't sit there like 
frozen in time thinking of what to do next. You know, it should start to flow when you get into the upper belts. Moving from position to position. Man, I believe that the difference from the white belt to the black belt, pretty much, it's start like it's like chess, you know? You're going to see, when you get a black belt, you're going to see three, four, five steps of power because you know the mind mapping. You know what's going to leash position, you know? And attached mm-hmm. to this, you have your how you distribute your weight, how you manage the risk that you're getting to go in certain position, and how you control the distance. If you have understanding of these three things, and you can get steps forward in your game ahead of the guy that you're fighting against or training against, whatever, that's that that's how how you get a black belt. Pretty much that is it. Because, like, do an armbar in the close guard from the white belt and do an armbar in the, close, in the close guard from the black belt, you're going to be the same position. The difference is going to be this. You're not going to escape your hips so backwards. You're going to change your angle a little. You're going to be heavier if your foot to put the head, sink the head down. Maybe you're going to feel that the guy going to stack you and you're going to go back to the close guard. Or you're going to try roll in, inward to do a reverse uh, armbar for the belly down. That's why I change from the white belt to the black belt. That's going to be the reaction by the understanding of the mind mapping and the experience that he has. Beautiful. That's a great yeah, point. That's Those are fantastic. three great points. That makes so much sense. You know, you just see so, and I, I have a long ways to go to get to that point too, but I recognize that my skills and recognizing those steps are getting better every year I train. They're getting, I can see farther down the path. And that's, that's such a great point because it, that is really what separates skill. I mean, that's what separates its experience and it's being on the mats for extended periods of time where you recognize those things. So tell us a little bit about uh, your, you've got American nationals coming up. You're kind of starting to prep for pans. You've got a whole season planned out. Tell us about uh, your competition prep. Um, tell us about, you know, what, what you're, um, you know, kind of how you're, you're prepping for it. Man, I was in Hawaii and I had a, once again, a ninja because of like not guided training and a really good guy called Wes. He contacted me <laughs> and man, for real, I'm super grateful because I was already like giving up. I went to doctors and all the doctors say like, man, it's a LCL, LCL. You already had surgery before, going to do another surgery. And I was like, man, I, I was going about to go to Dallas. And I was like, bro, I don't even fight Dallas, you know. And this guy came to me like, no, man, I think we can. I think we should try. Let's, let's, let's go for a different way. Let's do the physiotherapy. Let's work out. Let's start doing the training. And I think it was like two weeks, barely walking, no training. And after two weeks, like after I fought Dallas. I actually I fought even good. I lost by two points in the in the on the on the gi, and like I did a monster takedown on the guy, and I did bad and got the heel hook. But like, man, for somebody who was literally out of the place, I was like, man, I, I actually fought, you know. And after that, we start talking. We start talking about do the training, uh, progress the physical uh the physical physical training, the physiotherapy, all the steps, and I decided to move here. Once I move it here, we schedule all of our trainings to do physical therapy and uh, physical education for three times a week. 
and I train jiu-jitsu every day, at least once in a day, from Monday to Saturday. Most of the times, if not wrong, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, I train twice. And I was invited to help in an MMA camp, helping the grappling part for two athletes who are going to fight the Lux Championship. That's the biggest event in America, Latin American. And I'm doing the grappling part of them, the wrestling, doing this part. And man, so far, feeling strong. And it was funny because when you guys met me last time, I was 218. I was losing weight to fighting the heavyweight, and I'm, I'm 188. I'm like wow. sharp. It's like 30 pounds, though, in like maybe five months, six months. I don't know. It was like crazy. And feeling better. That's funny because I feel stronger than I was before. The body moved different, you know. Like mm -hmm. I used to be before the injuries. That's that's really great, man. Sounds good. That's awesome. Um, you know, I always tell everybody, you know, I just, you know, I'm not the one doing the training. You know, I, I design workouts. I put help people get their goals, but you're the one doing the training. Um, and so I'm obviously happy with you know, I'm super happy that you're make you know, you're competing. You're, I mean, you're doing two camps right now. You're doing an MMA camp, you're doing a, a jujitsu camp. Um, and then you've got, you've got American nationals coming up. Um, what is your, what is your seasonal goals this year? Do you have any seasonal goals as far as, um, jujitsu competition? Man, it's dependent because I think you want, like how you're saying about sometimes one competition works like a month or two months of training. But more important than that, when you're consistent doing the competitions, you go adjusting your game competition by competition. So, man, the last competition that I fought was Dallas, was what, February? I have a gap between like four months between my last competition now. So I want to get good in, in nationals. I want to win the Aussie and go for a win the Grand Slam. That's, that's Pan Am's, you know? Because you need to be competing. You can see every, besides like the legends like uh, Bushesha or maybe other, Roger or something like that, that guys, uh, they are not normal human beings. Everybody, even low, the guys who were in several words, they are fighting constantly. They are always being constant and fighting because that's how you adjust your game, you know? If you're not Bushesha, if you're not Bruno Malfacini, I don't believe that you're going to stay one year without compete and go there and win, you know? For me, that's very important. Mm. Get this step by step, win all the, uh, fight all the competitions, win the competitions, and, and get ready for the Pan Ams, and reset everything to do the the season. That maybe the words in the end of the year. I believe they're gonna have the words in December, since you're gonna have master words in November. So if you have the words, I would like to do the words, and after reset everything for the last year, do a full season jujitsu. You know. Slow down, don't move up to, to MMA yet, but do a full season jujitsu. My last full season. That's how I'm I'm going. I think one season can change everything in your life, right? You see, like for example, Craig mm -hmm, Jones. That's right. Man, I, I was in the ADCC feeling. Bro, I never heard about Craig Jones before he did the flying triangle and took the back. I never. I never. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. who is Craig Jones now? Everybody says he's number two in the world in Nogi. Not saying like if it wasn't that he he was not gonna be the number two, but the fact that he did that season so good and get the result, making his name and open opportunities for him. The same like uh, Giles, man, he's Sumim Muhammad. 
Kaina and I think Audio in the same competition. That's crazy. That was like the day mm -hmm. of his life. Yeah. I never heard about him before. And he changed yeah. it. He's, make a statement. Make a statement, exactly. So that's what I'm looking for. Have my good season. And after move to MMA. So you're gonna do the you're gonna do the switch to MMA. I wanna man. I grew up in MMA gym yeah. like I grew up like doing my because when you're under 18 in Brazil, you cannot you cannot do it from your parents don't sign, you know. So the mm. guys will come to do jujitsu jujitsu to have a round, and I was man, I was super light. I'm six two, and I was like one forty something pounds until I was like eighteen years old, nineteen years old. So I used to I used to go to the guys used to invite me to do the the rounds with the guys, you know. The, the grappling rounds. And I, I was like, man, I want to fight. I want to fight. And my parents never never let me do it, you know. And then I also was going to medical mm -hmm. school and all this stuff. And I was like, man, you were studying a lot. How are you going to do How are you gonna do MMA in the same time they're doing medical school? That's not possible, all this stuff. But I want to have the experience, man. That's why I'm training. I always train, like, I believe that I was training hard, you know. But that's why I'm, like, I think the word, like, risking, pretty much risking. Because when you're going to... A different art, like the striking, is different though. It's different. That's why I see a lot of very good jiu-jitsu guys. They step up, they put the gloves, and then they don't keep the you know. So with uh, how much training MMA training are you doing now? How do you how do you manage how do you manage the extra training, knowing that in a year you're going to want to tax your body and tax your mind with all more skill. I'm sure, you know, you grew up in an MMA gym. I'm sure you're familiar with the, the different arts that it takes. But uh, what's your plan for transitioning? So my plan, man, you got to get really, really good in wrestling because I'm not going to be like strike everyone. At least in the beginning, mm -hmm. I don't want to be like, okay, let's be the next at the sun and let's be the next Anderson Silva. The guys yeah. have 10 years doing what I do in jiu-jitsu, the guys have in Muay Thai. So I want to get a very solid wrestling, learn how to get control of the ground. That's really, really hard. People think that's easy to keep the guy on the ground. It's, it's hard, though. The guy is sweating. He's pushing your face, doing all the stuff. And get, get enough hands so don't need to be like... For example, I'm a big fan of Damian Maia. Big fan. For me, he's one of the best jiu-jitsu guys in the whole history by what he did in MMA, the number of submissions and all the stuff. But, man... If he doesn't take down the guy, there is no fight. Mm -hmm. There is no fight. We can see by his, for example, his last fight this weekend. Unfortunately, he was not able to safe a good takedown and keep the control and get the submission like he did with most of the guys. And once again, not saying nothing bad of him. Like I'm really fun of his game, I'm really fun of him. But I wanted to have more. You know, I see like for example, Durinho. Durinho, he got he has super heavy hands. He didn't become the best strike in the world, but man, when he touched hurts. Yeah. People respect his hands, you know? And once you make people respect your hands, he has his eyes open for to go for a takedown, for do a submission, for do the next steps, you know? So I wanna get a very solid wrestling and learn how to like put power in the hand. Not be mm -hmm. the best martial artist in on the stand-up striking, but like I wanna if I touch somebody, I, I punch somebody, people are like, oh. You know, mm -hmm. that, that's my goal in the transition. Exciting. Can't wait for that transition coming up next year. Stay tuned. <laughs> Wes, uh, what, what program do you have Patrick on and what? Dive in a little bit more about the rehab that he did 
because I know it was a, a proud moment for you because, you know, he said it himself. He was looking at other options and you kind of helped him through and get, get him back on track. So what, what program or what, tell us a little bit about his therapy and what you have him doing for this upcoming season for his, you know, strength and conditioning in terms of competition. And maybe you guys can both touch on that, but explain a little bit more what, what your approach was with Patrick. Yeah. So, um, first of all, uh, first of all, it's great to have a motivated athlete. Um, this is, you know, Patrick is a high level black belt. He wants to compete at, he wants to be the best in jujitsu and, and MMA. He's got a, a really good drive. And so having somebody that wants, that is willing to I don't like the term buy in, but somebody has to buy into physical therapy. Mm -hmm. Somebody has to buy in that this is going to help them. And he, he was motivated and he is, he didn't want to go through surgery. He's been through knee surgery before. So having, first of all, having buy in and having somebody say, I want to try this and I'm going to be committed to this is the the first step. So Immediately, I was like, "This is this is great." The other thing with rehab is um, it, it's it sucks when anybody gets injured. Um, but after a, an injury like this, it, it's kind of nice because you get to build somebody, you get to build a program from the ground up. Um, injuries suck, but you have to create, you have to make an athlete better than when they were before they got injured. It can never be about just taking them to the point where they got injured because that's the point where they got hurt. Right. So you always have to focus on getting somebody better than they were before. So you have to build them. You have to build an athlete to from the ground up. I mean, somebody's injured and can't walk for two weeks. Well, we got to get range of motion and then build, start building strength and build them from essentially the ground up. So that's kind of the foundational stuff. So the very beginning of the rehab process was just that get range of motion, start light strength training, um, test the tissue tolerance. And then I go through, um, in my head, I think about where are we at in an injury? What is, what is, where are directional limits? So his was an LCL. So, which is on the, for our listeners who are not familiar with knee anatomy. It's the ligament that connects the two bones of the knee on the outside. So I know that I have a ligament that is torn or partially torn. So if I want to do side to side movements, I, I can't do side to side movements for a while, but I can do movements front to back. So I, I start strengthening in front to back. So that's, you can do split squats. You can do front squats. You can do, um, all these. And you know, kind of as the pain goes down, as the swelling goes down, um, you start testing side to side. So you don't, you, you start um, uh, going, you know, you don't start with lunges because that requires you to come off of your leg and to plant on a, with load on it. So then you start like testing side to side lunges without um, actually bringing the leg off. So that starts stressing that LCL, but under a smaller load than actually having like pounding on the, on a healing LCL. Mm -hmm. 
So then you start adding rotation. Once that's good, you start adding rotation. So now we're, we're strengthening in three different planes. So once you get through those parameters, then the sky is the limit. Um, and then you start, you start a full strength and conditioning program. Um, so for Patrick, we went through how his, you know, where he felt like he needed improvement what he what his goals were what he wanted to improve on and we uh we dialed in i do a lot of heart rate based conditioning focusing on cardio um and so you you obviously can't neglect strength you have to strength train um one of my biggest pet peeves uh and then i'm going to stop rambling but one of my biggest pet peeves with anybody that's working with an athlete is trainers uh Trainers have the ability, physical therapists, trainers, anybody that you're working with outside of the gym have the ability to make an athlete better and make their performance on the mats better. They also have the ability to take away performance on the mats. So when, for instance, you have an athlete doing strongman or Olympic lifts, that is a skill. That's a technical skill. It's just like jujitsu. Those you you have so much energy capital is what I call it, which, you know, your brain requires energy. Learning a new skill requires energy. Um, so I prefer to take, you know, most jujitsu athletes know how to do a squat. Most jujitsu athletes know how to do a deadlift. I prefer not to put somebody under another skills acquisition phase and take away their learning capital for on the jujitsu mats. Mm-hmm. So when I strength train, people or I have them doing their strength training, I try to find out the things that they already know. I incorporate it in that training. And then it allows them to worry less about am I am I strongman lifting the best yeah. that I could be? Am I is my overhead snatch is the where where it needs to be? No, none of that stuff is applicable to jujitsu. It'll take away from performance on the mats if if you do that with jujitsu athletes. Mm-hmm. We're jujitsu athletes, not strongman athletes. And I don't believe in putting jujitsu athletes in strongman conditions. Mm-hmm. So, or Olympic lift conditions for that matter. You know, I think in keep it, keeping it super basic. Yeah. And then relatable. Uh, relatable. I mean, I've said this on the podcast before athletes, jujitsu athletes need to do seven conditions or nine conditions. You need to be able to squat, lunge, hinge, push, pull, rotate. That's it. Mm -hmm. So for what Patrick and I are doing, we, Patrick wanted to get better at, get his gas tank up and he wanted to be able to push the pace in his competitions. He's been working on his wrestling, which requires a high level of cardio, uh, cardiac output, high level of cardio. So uh, we're strength training and we're working on cardio so that he's pushing the pace and he's constantly working and he's wearing people out and grinding them out on the mats. So that's been our, it's been really nice because we've built the strength, three different planes. We've, we're doing cardio, we're strength training. And, um, I mean, he's doing an MMA camp and a jujitsu camp and, um, he's Bravo. holding up. Nice. It's, it's a process, right? And sometimes it's laborious and long. And that's why to have an athlete like Patrick, like you said, to buy in, it's really just, he's just a committed, he just knows 
he wants to get better, you know? And if you can see that path, you just have to commit. And, and I know with therapy, especially, and just to listen to you explain it. And I've went through the same therapy with Wes. It's, you start like at the very basic. So it takes a long time. So a lot of times, especially for athletes, you know, you want to push ahead and push too quickly or advance too quickly or get back on the mats. But sometimes you have to dumb it down all the way back to square one and really start. Like Wes said, you know, it's, it's literally no weight bearing. Taking a side step is step one. You know, can you step from side to side? Literally just taking steps. I mean, that's what it was for me in terms of when I hurt my knee. It was like the first week was, can I just start walking regularly? <laughs> and then it's the next week is Wes adds a little bit more and adds a little bit more. But you have to go through the process and it's like, it sucks sometimes, you know, because it's not really, you know that you've done more and that you want to do more and that you can do more. But when you have an injury, especially, it's like, you really got to just nurture it along. I don't know if that would be the proper term that you would use, but, you know, in a smart way, you're just rebuilding everything. And I love what you said about not, not, not getting him back to where he was, but taking it all the way back and building up and beyond where they were, you know, and yeah. that's, that's really what it is with strength training, right? I mean, you you said it also, you know, don't expend energy in these other avenues. Well, it makes more sense if you're a jujitsu athlete to apply those, the skills that are applicable to jujitsu, you know, the movements, yep. the strength, you're going to need different, different types of strength. Um, yep. Some of that you get on the mats just by grappling. 100%. Um, and, and sometimes you can, you know, add to it. And I just know that I've, I've talked to Wes about Patrick in particular and, and the progress you guys have made and, and how much effort Patrick's put into it. So hats off to you guys on working together as a team. It's great to see. And um, I think it's going to show as soon as Patrick gets over this little episode of sickness, we'll see him back on the mats and, and crushing it in these next competitions. I think, I think Patrick, you're probably itching to get back out there. You can already tell you it's been four months you got a couple of them coming up in the next two or three months, right? When is Pan? When is the Pan Championship? What what month is that? Is that September? Yeah, September fourth. September. 5th. Okay, so you have th- these next three months, at least three competitions, right? We're talking uh, American Nationals, Phoenix Open, and then Pan. Austin too. Austin too. Austin. Okay. If I don't do if. If I don't do Phoenix, I'm going to do Austin. There is one more city that I forgot. That's right before the pants. I think it's Vegas again. I'm pretty much, I, I, I don't remember which one. Man, something that's, that I was thinking about that's really crazy is because nobody wanted, for example, I'm teaching a student, you know, and like say like, man, do 20, 20 reps. The guy going to be like struggling to do the 20, like, fuck, I finished the 20. I'm done. You know, I want to leave this place now. But once you're an athlete and the guy says to you, like, hey, man, do 20 reps. And if you're recovering yourself, but you can do 50. Maybe you can do 30 with 50 pounds instead of 10 pounds, you know. And you got to look to yourself. You got to have the, the self-assessment and trust in, the, in the, the person who is taking care of your, your process, the person who is taking care of your training. You're like, no, man, the guy said me to do 20. I got to do 20. Even if I can, if I want to do the extra mile, I'm not going to do this extra mile now because I know that if I do the extra mile, I can get hurt or I can 
do something bad to the process, you know. And I think that should be the hardest part to somebody who works in physiotherapy or any other kind of therapy, working with an athlete, because natural we're always trying to to go over the limitations, you know, go over the do an extra mile. At least how I see myself, you know. So what was hard in the beginning, like last sent some trainers, I was like, man, I want to do more. He was like, no, man, relax. You're gonna get there. You're gonna get there. Relax. And I think that's important. Trust in the guy who is who is leading your process, who is guiding you. You know. Yeah. What? Uh, and I don't. You know, Patrick's gonna find something out here too. Uh, right now, what it's gonna look like. You know, it's gonna be nice when the when MMA camp is over, and nationals is gonna be over. What the plan is going forward. You know, we've got a bunch of competitions planned out. Um, and it's all going to lead to pans. The whole, the main event is pans, um, for Patrick. And so we'll go through a deload week where he's probably not going to be doing much. He's going to let his body recover, uh, rest. So yeah, we'll do a, we'll do an entire testing week. We'll find out exactly where he's, uh, where he needs a little bit of help. And then we'll design an off the mat training to, um, really capitalize and, uh, develop those areas of, um, his 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 game off the mat so and it'll carry right over to uh competition so it'll be great perfect we're looking forward to it i can't wait i hope hope to see you when you come out here to phoenix patrick um hope you get better hope you're feeling better soon quickly here i know you have a tournament coming up next week um tell everybody where if they want to follow your journey over these next few months what's your instagram tell everybody what your instagram handle is so they can follow you Okay, my Instagram, my Instagram is Patrick BJJ. Uh, very simple. <laughs> my name is The Ordinary Train. Uh, man, that was a pleasure with you guys. I hope I can go to Phoenix, go back see you guys in Shoe Fit. Soon be be close to Denver too to see to see what's gonna be be awesome. I want to be training for you guys though. Awesome, man. Come into Chill Fit and get, uh, get some cold treatments. Get your body frozen before the tournament or after. We'll hook you up. Oh, thanks, bro. That'd be awesome. That's be cool. I want to see you guys competing, though. I want to see, see you guys in the Masters, though. I want to see that happening. All right, man. We got to make it happen. I'm putting a season together right now. I was telling, so I'm uh, having a little bit of issues with IBJJF. So, um, uh, I don't know what, I don't know what changed. They didn't have a, they didn't make me do this for purple belt. And so I'm getting that squared away. And then I am, uh, going to start putting getting some, uh, getting some reg, Yeah. Getting registered. All right, guys, Patrick, we'd love to have you on again sometime. Maybe, uh, when you start your MMA journey, we'll check back in with you. Thank you very much, guys. It was a pleasure. We'll, Thank you very much. We'll see you guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Road to Black podcast. Once again, please support our sponsors, the BJJ Physio. Contact Wes, he'll hook you up with some customized programming for your game. Take it to the next level. Therapy, performance, the BJJ Physio. Also, Roll Union Jiu-Jitsu. Check out the latest styles, Jiu-Jitsu, casual wear, training gear, Check them out, rollunion.com. Follow on Instagram, at rollunion. Thanks again for listening, everyone, and we will see you next time.